0: Do I have free will? Do we have free will? If I have free will, can I choose any direction of the array of choices right in front of me? How does God know what I'm going to choose? Therefore, does God have absolute knowledge? If I'm truly free to choose any direction, is God then therefore not completely sovereign? If God wanted to let us off the hook for our sin, then why didn't he just do that, right? He's God. Why did Jesus have to die? Did Jesus have to die? What really is God's plan for redemption for the whole world? Um, probably a month ago or maybe two months ago, we had um, my prof from Densum in here and um He's a super smart guy, way smarter than me, and uh, he says that philosophy is thinking well about the things that matter the most. Right? Thinking well about the things that matter the most, and in my opinion, these questions represent some of the biggest questions regarding what it means to be a Christ follower. Right? Like, I mean, I know that um, you know they they really don't have anything to do with uh, evangelism and some of these things but those questions are informed by some of these questions. And so they're super important. They're super, um, I think they're super engaging. Like I wonder about this stuff all the time. Um, all of these questions are dealt with in book two of mere Christianity. So if you haven't picked it up, pick it up. You can still catch up. We're not even halfway through the book yet. Um, for me, it's amazing. I, I love C.S. Lewis. He's so smart, but also he um, he just talks about things so differently than than we do um, these days. Like we're really good at using our Christian language, you know. And um, he he kind of like committed to to have this conversation without using a lot of that Christian language. Or if he does, he tries to give us a funny or neat analogy to understand it. Right? He's like the analogy master. And funny, the funny thing is, is like, he'll be using an analogy and then he'll use an analogy to explain that analogy. And I think he gets a little tied up sometimes. Um, but super intelligent guy. Um, we are not yet talking Christian doctrine. Okay. So we're not even there yet. Um, we are talking philosophically and theologically about God. Um, but I'm not um, talking about this book. I don't want you to walk away thinking, like, oh, Crispy's saying that mere Christianity is, is a reflection of what we all should believe. That's not the point of this. The point of this is to start to have a conversation starter so that you and I can dig deep because we need to know what we believe and why. We need to know what we believe and why. And here we have some awesome examples um, in, in fairly accessible language where we can dig deep into these questions and figure out what in the world do I believe about good and evil, right and wrong, morality. Is there actually objective mor- uh, uh, an objective moral law that is universally applicable? Like we can get into these questions. Um, so where are we so far? We talked about book, uh, book one. It's really confusing. Okay, he wrote a book. Actually, let me back up a little bit. He had these radio talks. They turned them into a book. The book's divided into four books, so it's one book, but it's four books. Sounds like sounds like the the Trinity, kind of right? You know, a little. Anyway, never mind. Totally different conversation. Um, book one. Lewis argued that we all had this objective moral standard that we live by right this is his whole point is that we he's appealing to the fact that we live this way um and if there is this objective moral law he says the best explanation is this mind that is um transcendent from this universe um different not material okay not material and uh he said this mind seems to have have a personality with wishes and preferences and likes and dislikes and Book one concludes that if there is this mind excuse me if there is this if this if there is this mind and it is transcendent or not of this material word, world, then um we can learn about this mind by looking inward so so introspection and uh and that this mind this being this thing is interacting with us and is personal. Okay. And that's called theism. Okay. Theism is, um, there's an absolute personal transcendent being that we can call God. Okay. So that's where he ends up book one. He says, look, um, I think I've argued well enough that we can all agree that there is a God, right? A God. So he's not, at the God of Christianity, um, not even close, uh, but he does say, he's like kind of hinting at this um, direction that we're headed. Um, so that's where we left off um, a couple of weeks ago. And if you saw the title of book number two, anybody know what it is? Title of book number two? Title, book number two. What Christians Believe. What Christians Believe. Not really like the most exciting title, right? When I read it, I was like, Oh, cool. Um, yeah, he's probably just going to give this, give us a huge list of Christian doctrine and he's Anglican. So it might have like an Anglican twist to it. Um, but it's actually quite different. It's actually quite different. What he's doing is he says, if I can legitimately conclude that there is a God, what other things might also be true. It's called entailment. If I can legitimately conclude that there is a God or mind, this personal being what other things might also be true? Okay. And so he starts off, he says, look, if, if there is this God, then what, what's the very next question we probably should ask? And he says, which God is the right God, right? Because there's a bunch of religions and he says, you know, they're, they're all, um, you know, they call their gods different things. And, and uh, what he says is, is like, and I appreciate this from Lewis. He says, you don't have to believe that everything in all religions is false except for one, right? I probably didn't word that correctly. He's saying there's some truth in all religions, right? There's some truth in um, in all religions. And, uh, if, even if the only thing is that they believe that there is a God that's out there, maybe they got everything else wrong, but there's some truth in all religions. And so he says, you know, within mathematics, there's one answer to an equation. However, it's such that some wrong answers are closer to being right than others. Right. And I think that's true is that we have, um, We can interact with others from different faith traditions and we can find um, common ground maybe even in this moral standard or in the the belief that there is a transcendent um, creator being that's created all of us. We can find some of that common ground and that could be a bridge that builds that we can build to to bring in conversation with people that that um, don't know the God of Christianity. Um, So let's think about those things that might be consistent. Uh, pantheism. So he differentiates between pantheism and monotheism. Okay. He says, pantheism, God animates the universe. The universe is God because God is part of the universe and the universe contains good and evil on pantheism. God is beyond any sense of good and evil. So what's going on here? He says, okay, here's the universe. The universe on pantheism is the divine being, the universe itself. anybody ever heard? Well, what is the universe saying to you? Or like, hey, if you put this out to the universe, it's going to come back, like karma, right? That kind of thing. Um, those are kind of some of the foundational beliefs of of pantheism. And the the struggle here that um, Lewis is kind of pointing out is the fact that when we look at that, if if God and the universe are one and the same. And if we can conclude that there is evil in this world or, or or bad things in this world, then um, there's a problem there. Because if my conclusion is that whatever this mind is, because it's God, if I have to conclude that it's an attribute a necessary attribute of it is that it is goodness, then I have a problem there because God cannot be not goodness, right? And so um, that's kind of an internal incoherence between the two. If you, if you believe that there's bad in the world, and this is what, this is what Lewis is saying. He's like, look, you know, this is where I fall into kind of confusion with this is that as soon as I say that something is evil, then I can't say that God is the universe. One, because um, that means you know part part of that belief system, part of that faith tradition is that i 'm also divine right and part of the um the goal in life is to realize your own divinity okay these are these are like big um, big foundational beliefs in pantheism and um if if God has some evil in him and I can conclude that there 's some evil. Then, um, sorry, I said that wrong because there's an inter- internal incoherence there because I'm I am acknowledging evil, but the God of the universe is part of that evil. It just can't it can't happen if God can be, um, if God must be good. And I believe I believe when we go through all the attributes of God, okay, the things that He necessarily must be. I believe. And and I think there's good evidence for it that this God of this universe has to be good, necessarily good. Um, so that's pantheism. And then he says, look, there's there's another you know position, and that's monotheism. He says, God invented, made the universe, there's one God, and that would generally be Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Okay, you guys know this stuff. Here's the thing: what happened? What happened? Um, what is the real problem? Okay. So if God made the universe, why has it gone wrong? Why is there, um, what's the problem? Christianity sees the world as a good world that has gone wrong, but still retains the memory of what it ought to have been. Right. And I think this is true, right? God created the world. God created the universe. And, um, And evil entered into it, right? God didn't create that evil. Evil entered into it and corrupted the world that we live in. Um, But he goes on and he makes this distinction um, that we call dualism. He says, there's a good power in the world, right? And there's an evil power in the world. And this is like a big... Um, kind of older philosophical position, right? Is that this idea of like light versus darkness, like good fighting evil. You can think about all the ways that this is a part of our culture, right? Think about superheroes. Like it's a, it's something that as humans we kind of we kind of attach to or we're drawn to this idea, this this conversation about good fighting evil, evil fighting good, and and there's this dualism in this world that we that we know. And he says like, okay, this first off, this is kind of an oversimplification of Christianity. Yes. There's, there's Jesus Christ. And then there's Satan, right? And they're fighting. Okay. And we believe as Christians that there is this spiritual battle that's waging, but he says, this is an oversimplification. Um, he says, not everything is so black and white. And I love this. I love this because, um, we do tend to try to make things black and white because I think that helps us to feel comfortable. But um, he points out that all, all the things that enable a bad person to be bad are not bad in themselves. So he, he talks about like dedication, Dedication in and of itself is not a bad thing, right? But somebody who might be committing evil things or might be a bad person might be very dedicated to their plan or, or whatever. Um, planning some of these things. So he says, not everything is so black and white that it's just good and evil and all this. And I, I think the more that I live, the more that I see, the more I feel like, you know, yeah, there's a lot of gray, Thanks. <laughs> but he does argue that Christianity is pretty close. He says, look, if, if we're, if we're, if we're straightforward with Christianity, it's pretty close to this idea of dualism. And here's why. And I love what he says here. He says, Christianity does argue or does agree. Excuse me. Christianity does agree with dualism in that this world is at war between two powers. however, It does not agree that they are two independent powers. The bad power was created by the good power, and thus it is a civil war. This is what he's saying, a rebellion of sorts. This world is enemy-occupied territory. And he says Christianity is the story of how this rightful king has landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part and a great campaign of sabotage. I love that. In this chapter where he's talking about, it, he's calling it the great invasion or the invasion. And when I saw that chapter, I was like, Oh yeah, of course evil has invaded for sure. Yeah. It's invaded our world. But actually what he's talking about is that the enemy, Satan is the king of this realm, the prince of this realm. He has corrupted the world that we live in. We see this in scripture. And what Jesus is calling us to, Jesus has come. He's the rightful king. He's the rightful king. He's come in disguise and he's calling us to raise up against these, um, these rebels and take back the kingdom that is rightfully Christ's. It's so cool. But he says, how has this world gone wrong? It has gone wrong because we have freedom to choose wrong. So this is where he's getting into this huge question of freedom, free will, freedom of the will. He says, I'm free to choose wrong. It, you know, and this is, this is a question, okay? If I, if I can choose right from wrong, is God less sovereign, you know, that's a big question, right? Um, there's this whole debate about um, God's absolute knowledge. How can God know all things and I can choose whatever I want? Does God know already what I'm going to choose? Has he, um, you know, pre preordained certain things for my life, um, knowing that I'm going to choose all these things? Well, if he knows and he's preordained these things, do I then, therefore, not have the option to choose something different in the future? Should I choose my mind or change my mind? And and so these are these are like conversations that people have that really hurt my brain. Um, but this is what C.S. Lewis is talking about, and I struggled with this for a long time. But I love his example here. He says um, someone can be can be sovereign um, in one way, but not in another. So here's what he says. He says a mother. Um, Says to her kids, I'm not going to clean your room for you every night. Okay. It's one of his analogies. She comes up and the room is all dirty. Okay. This doesn't necessarily undermine her authority at all because she wants them. She wants them to be tidy, but it is her will that she has left them with the freedom to be untidy. Okay. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking? Y'all tracking? Okay. God is sovereign, completely sovereign. And yet, and, and, and not, and yet, it is a part of his sovereignty that he has chosen to give us the ability to not choose him, if that makes sense. Um, and this is what Lewis is, is going after, and he's trying to reconcile this idea that we live in a world that's broken, it's marred, it's poisoned, it's corrupted by, by evil and sin, and, and, um, and thus we have this dualism. We have Christ who's coming to... to um, make things right as a part of the overall story of redemption. So how did the dark power go wrong? Right. And we're going to dig into this more, um, in the upcoming weeks, but Lewis is really, really, really big on this idea of pride being the worst sin. It's the greatest possible, you know, failure that we can have. And I agree I absolutely agree. But he says, how did this darkness that has corrupted this world, how did it originally go wrong? And he says here, the moment that you have a self at all, there is the possibility of putting yourself first, wanting to be the center, wanting to be God. That was the sin of Satan. And that was the sin that he taught the human race. Here lies all vain attempts of self deification the attempt to make ourselves God, right? This is what we want. This was, the, this was the, um, the status of my life for so many years, for a decade, was I wanted control. I was God in my life. I was Lord in my life. I wanted control. And this is what we do through money, through ambition, through war, social classes, empires, slaveries. We are trying to be God, And he says, God made us and invented us, right? Just like man made the engine to run on gas, God made us to run on himself. God made us to run on himself. And the thing is, is we do everything but that, right? We do everything but that. We think, man, if only I had this, this would definitely make me feel, and these are all subconscious thoughts, right? I'm not saying anybody's going around saying, look, if I had, you know, uh, a thousand bucks, my life would be a lot easier, maybe like thinking about that or, or saying it out loud, right? These are, these are subconscious thoughts. We pursue things that are everything except for God. And then after years of feeling left empty and um, unfulfilled and feeling like there's, there's still um, something missing from my life, we're reminded again and again that God created us to run on. Him. Um, I forget who said it, but they said that we have a God-sized hole in our heart. A God-sized hole in our heart, meaning that like the only thing that can fill that hole is Christ. The only thing that can fill that hole is Christ. So what did God do? What did he do? So here we are, we've got this broken world. We're trying to um, um, fill this God-sized hole in our heart with everything except for him. What did God do? He gave us the sense of right and wrong. This is what we talked about in book one. He gave us a sense of, of conscience, um, the sense of a moral oughtness um, within our communities. Um, and we all seemed, and this was part of the argument, is that we don't really live that way very well, right? We still screw it up. I mess it up every single day. There, the, you know, when it comes to like relational things, so, you know, I say things that offend people and, um, or I, or I do things that are just maybe, you know, you guys know, I talk before I think sometimes y'all, y'all know that, um, <laughs> I fail at this all the time. <laughs> oh man. Thanks. Thanks for Cassie keeping me in line. Man, I love you, okay. We fail at this, right? That's the whole argument is that we have this moral code that we kind of live like everybody else is supposed to know it. And, and, and that assumption is there. It's implied in our, in our communities. And yet we fail at it all the time, which is kind of ironic anyway. Um, but then we keep trying to play God and we fail at that too. We can't, um, we can't be God. We can't hold on to control and keep life together. And we keep failing at these. And, um, He says that the way back to God from our trying to be God is that our self has to go through a process of dying, right? We see this all throughout scripture. Paul talks about this. Your old self has to die. Your self has to die. And we see that, you know, um, it's our self, our flesh that we we feed, and and it takes priority, and we um, live in that space where we're we're feeding our flesh, and it rules our lives. And Christ says we can't have, um, we can't serve more than one master, right? So what, what is our God? Our old self must die, and then there turns up a man. And this man claimed to be the very God that created this entire universe. And here's what Lewis says. And and it's like, when I hear it, it's like, man, he says, these claims that this man made were quite simply the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. God of the universe walked into time and space. So God, think about this, God is transcendent, so he's beyond time and space, right? Um, He stepped into time and space, put on flesh, walked around here 2,000 years ago, and claimed to be the God that created this entire universe. Let's look at this really quickly. What did Jesus say? He said, and these are just some of the examples, but I love you know um John's gospel's kind of different than some of the others and one of the things that John's really trying to do is he's really trying to drive home that Jesus is God himself That Jesus is God. This is one of the things that John is really trying to emphasize in his gospel. And we see that John records the seven I am statements. He says, um, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the door. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus says, I am the vine. And in each one of these statements, it's like groundbreaking, earth-shattering kind of stuff that he's addressing. He's saying, I am the very source of your life. I am the very way to salvation. I am the very uh, means of healing and, and, and um, ultimately to have your, your spiritual thirst quenched. And 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 this is where Lewis walks into his one of his most. Famous arguments you've probably heard it before, but what he's saying here is that this man that walked this earth two thousand years ago. So we've been talking about this whole like corrupted world, and it's the domain of the enemy, and everything's broken and marred and corrupted. And God didn't just leave us in this space to fend for ourselves. What he did was he sent his son, and this man is like walking around, and he's saying, "Look, I am the God who who created all of this in the first place." And you and I all have to respond to those claims. We all have to answer, do we think he was a liar? If he's a liar, then he knew that he was intentionally deceiving us? Or is he a lunatic? Did he not know? Was he crazy? Did he think that he was God? And he really just didn't realize that he wasn't actually God, right? We've all seen that person buddy. I'm sorry. (laughs) Kiddo tears break my heart now. (laughs) So anyway, um, Lewis is saying that we all have to come to grit. We all have to um, answer this question for ourselves. Is Jesus a liar? Was he intentionally deceiving us? Is he a lunatic? Did he truly believe that he's God, but just didn't, didn't know that he actually wasn't? Or is he actually who he said he was, right? Because the easy thing, and this is where we let ourselves off the hook, is coming to a place where we can say, well, um, I'm open to thinking that Jesus is a good teacher. Maybe, you know, he was a rabbi of his day, right? And so he was a teacher. And so they referred to him as teacher quite a bit. You know, so maybe we say, well, yeah, Jesus is a good teacher. No, we cannot That cannot be a conclusion because he said he's God. So either we have to acknowledge that or we have to call him a liar or a lunatic. So here's the thing. Why did Jesus have to die? Now there's um, a whole bunch of theological treaties about, okay, Why was there this need, right? God did um, require a sacrifice, right? He did require a sacrifice. Okay, that's part of it. Um, Jesus did die to atone for our sins. Yes, he did. Um, But why, why couldn't God just let us off the hook? Why did Jesus actually have to die? Why did Jesus actually have to die? Here's what he says. Nothing about God's nature knows anything of death. And actually, when he wrote this, I was like, or sorry, when I was reading it. Yeah. When I was reading, it, I was like, man, I don't think I've ever heard this argument before. And I, Maybe I'm just not thinking about it right. But he says, since nothing about God's nature being perfect and good and everlasting and all-knowing, all these things, right? Since nothing about God's nature knows anything of death. God sent his son in order to experience death, partly to atone and to, 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 um, to save us from our own sin, but to actually experience death because we need to experience death and God, God could not therefore be our sympathetic high priest and usher us into that death to self, right? You see, that is That is the thing that prevents us from living fully in surrender to Christ is ourself. That is the thing that gets in the way between me living out the rest of my days in complete and utter adoration of our God is my self. And so God asks me to die to myself. Um, When I was starting in my, in Bible school, one of my profs said when, Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I wrote that down because I was like, oh man, that's that's pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet. But that's what God is calling us to, is a death to self. That our flesh would die. And yet because God knew nothing of death in his nature, he sent his son, like that's part of it. So he would know what death is like. So he would feel death and so that he would be able to usher us and 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 be sympathetic as we go through that same dying to self process. Because it takes that to join as a body and to fight the enemy that has corrupted this world and to engage in the spiritual warfare that exists. Let's pray. Father, I know these are um, like big ideas, big concepts, big, big things. Um, God, help us to just digest them. Help us to ponder them. Help us to think about them deeply and think well about these things that matter so much. God, because it matters that Your Son walked this earth, that Your Son experienced hunger and thirst just like we do, that Your Son experienced pain, frustration, sadness, sorrow. And that through that, God, you can truly be our sympathetic high priest and, and to know the human condition. So God, we thank you for for your gift. Help us to not brush off these ideas, these concepts too quickly. Help us to sit in them and ponder them a little bit. Let them sink into our soul and our mind and our hearts. God, because we are in enemy-occupied territory. God, even right here in this community in Parker, so frequently God, we just feel the weight of the attack of the enemy in different ways and different angles. And maybe um, someone came in here just discouraged today because of all the things that are going on. And um, God, maybe it's a job situation where, uh, you know, I don't I don't know where uh, my mate, my next paycheck is going to come from. And I'm trying to survive and I'm... these things matter. just love you. Help us uh, to encourage each other. Help us to realize the spiritual warfare that this is and help us not to fight for the enemy. Help us not to be in this place and be a discouragement or a weapon against one of our brothers and sisters. God, help us to lift each other up. Help us to be an empathetic or sympathetic brother or sister and encourage each other Because there's life and there's death in our tongue. Just love you in Jesus' name. Amen.